Moses has seen the glory of the Lord in the wilderness. He has seen the glory of the Lord rest upon the mountain from a cloud that God calls him into. Think that through. Moses has seen God's glory as he promises it, even as he will here in the tabernacle. And in all of that, Moses has the chutzpah as he speaks to God on the mountain like a man speaks to his friend. In Exodus 33:18, Moses has the chutzpah to ask him, and he said, please show me your what? Your glory. Now, don't you think he's already seen it? But there's somewhere in him that he craves more of it. Now, the difference between Moses, who, by the way, we'll read in the Torah, was the most humble man that ever lived. Now, because this, the, the text was written by, down by Moses, and if he really was the humblest man that ever lived, that had to be the hardest text he had to write. Could you imagine? That'd be like you being shy and humble and actually having to write down, and I'm really good looking. And I don't know, you know, maybe that's your eHarmony report, but for this... And understand somewhere in all of this, Moses isn't looking for God's glory to try to make himself look awesome. Moses has been hanging out with God and all he wants is more of him. That's the idea here. But you know that even for all the glory that God showed Moses doesn't remotely compare to what you have. Do you know that? You know, we were talking about this yesterday. We were sitting in our kitchen and there were a few of us sitting there. And realized 500 years ago, the richest king on earth, or even back in the, in the days of Solomon, with all of the riches he had, could not remotely compare to any one of us. Whether you live in a flat right now that's you know, small enough for barely enough room for you to put your shoes and actually stand beside them. But could you imagine explaining a microwave oven to Solomon? You know, he would say, well, I have to wait three hours for my food. They have to kill it. They have to clean it. They have to da-da-da. And it's like, not me. I just go to Iceland, you know, pick up something, throw it in, and beep, 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 45 seconds, baby, I got a meal. You realize how crazy that is? Think about how radical. Well, let me say this. Listen here. John 1, verse 14 says this, when he speaks about the Word of God being Jesus. The Word of God became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory. That's what John would say. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews 1, first three verses, it says, In various times and in various ways God has spoken to us through the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, who being, listen, the brightness of His glory, God says in Hebrews 1, 3. You get the clearest view of God's glory anyone has ever seen before 2,000 years ago. Do you get that? Think about the wealth that you have before you by looking in the face of Jesus. You'd say, well, I haven't. I know that he could be surfer, or there's one way he looks kind of like Bob Marley, but he's... But no, no, the face of the God who actually represents himself shows himself in Scripture. God's final statement is his son. Now, with that in mind, get the idea here that somewhere between the beginning of Exodus 40 and the end of Exodus 40, God shows up and glorifies himself in the tabernacle. Now, God has already done something quite similar in regards to this cloud because Moses, remember when the people had sinned with this golden calf, Moses puts his tent outside of the camp and then God actually shows up and actually just sort of the cloud just rests 
right in front, appears and stands before Moses, and Moses has these little board meetings with God every day. That's already been the situation. And by the way, can I just warn you that when Moses starts to hang out with God with a heart for the people, he starts to radiate God's glory himself. He didn't even recognize it. He didn't even know it. He comes down from the mountain. His face is glowing. It's shooting out light. People are fleeing from him. And he guy's like, what's, what's, what's going on? God, have I been gone? That I mean, think about how weird that is. And he doesn't even know that he's emitting this light. And can I warn you? That when you hang out with the Lord with a heart for people, you'll start to radiate it's my brother that tells me the story of the difference between radiating heat and forced heat. It's a beautiful thing. He's got one of those old stoves. Um, he, you know, it's like one of, uh, they call them Coleman stoves or Franklin stoves in, in America. But that's his heater for his house. Now, forced air, if you're aware of that, that's kind of where they have a boiler and so forth. And there's like these little vents that usually come out of the ground fairly not often that they have them here unless you live like over on like St. John's Wood or something like that. But with a radiator, the interesting thing, when it really properly radiates heat, everything around it becomes warm too. Have you noticed that? Where forced heat doesn't do that. And I love the idea that God has called us to radiate. Because it's a beautiful thought that when you start to radiate out on other people, everything around you gets radically affected too. You're not just blowing air. Actually, something happens from within the very source that starts to affect everything else around it. And that's what God is intended for every one of us. Now, if I were to look at this in its simple, honest way, somewhere between verse 1, then, and the end of the chapter, God is going to show his glory. And can I say, I look at this and I realize four pretty or five really radical things have happened on its route to that. I'd say, you know, I'd love to see God glorify himself. And if I were to follow Moses' example here in a very simple way, I think I would see the same. Now, I may not see a cloud, but let's be honest, this is London. We see clouds all the time. It's a sunny day, by the way. If you've looked at the forecast, we woke up and went, yep, that's sunny. It's a light gray. Follow me on this, okay? Verse 1, notice that the Lord speaks to Moses. We're now in chapter 40 where we belong. And he says, again, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle. I want happy new year, set up the tent. Put the ark of the testimony, petition off the ark with a veil. Bring the table, arrange it. But notice it says, set it in order. Take the lampstand, light its lamps. Take the altar of gold, that's our incense altar. Burn your incense on it, that's for prayer. Set up the second screen. Set up the altar outside the tent. Set up the laver outside the tent. That second altar is a bronze altar for sacrifice. The laver is to be washed. And then set up the court all around it. That's our third screen. Notice in verse 8. Hang up the screen. At the court gate. And I look at this and I realize something here. When God starts to talk about, if you were to prepare to see God's glory, you know, understand, I'm not talking about God validating you. If God, if you can't get validated at the cross, everything else you want from God will be for terribly selfish reasons. But please hear me. The first thing that Moses does is he basically and simple sets a God's house in order. If you're going to see the glory of God, can I just say the first thing is make sure that God's house is in order in your life. Now, notice what it is, by the way. Now, notice God has some screens. Notice there were three screens. Did you see that? 
There was the veil, there was the holy place, and then there was the ark. That was the place of intimacy between man and God. The place, by the way, where God was to appear and show himself. And by the way, notice in God's order, that's the first thing he wants to deal with. He doesn't say, let's work on the way out and through to the inside. God says, let's start on the inside and work our way out. Can I just say the same thing is going to happen in your life too? You know, it's like, well, some people could come to God because what they really want is sort of a behavior change. I'm having a rough day. I'm kind of a jerk in this area. I have this addiction. I have this problem. And we want these outside things changed. We give our life to Christ and we don't see it happen like this. And the reason is because God's not first altering the behavior on the outside. He's changing the thing on the inside first so that when it does change, it changes permanently. There's the difference. Now, in the first case, he says, is that right? Is that right between you and him right now? Because if that's not right, then everything else is going to be worthless. So I ask, screen, before we get to pass the first screen, are you okay with him here? Because let's face it, as a pastor, and God's made that clear according to 1 Samuel, man looks at the outer appearance, but it's the Lord that looks at the heart. You can fool me. You could look like super Christian because I only see you two hours a week. You could practice your best hallelujahs, work out some things that sound like scripture. Well, we should be able to sift through that. But, you know, in the end of it all, you've got your two hours when your best behavior and out your head, and then you go back to some form of horrible heathen world. I won't know better, but God does. Where are you at here? Is there still a fire burning here? Is there still a place where your heart skips a beat when Jesus' name is mentioned? Whereas this is the core of everything. Or have you replaced it? Have you kind of gone, well, I'm good with Christianese, but this is, because if this isn't right, all the other stuff will be shallow practice. Does that make sense? But we move from that, we move past that first veil, and we get into this, and there are three things. If we're looking at the ark here, and of course we had those things all built, thank you by the way, and, and we had this, what you had in front of us was the altar of incense, that's of course for prayer. You had the table of showbread here, which demonstrated in, in sort of an essence, emblemized God's provision, and then you had over here God's leading and his guidance as we had this, this lampstand. And I go, okay, now I go from this, which is my intimate place, to really start saying, now a little bit more in practice in my own life, in regards to my value systems in regards to my priorities am I really looking to God to provide or am I really trying to do that myself now I'm not talking about being lazy I'm talking about where you're freaking out because somehow you can't make it happen and you're knocking on the doors and they're not opening and you're waiting for something to break through and you start saying those words like we have in some church like I'm just waiting for my breakthrough but what you're trying to do is you're trying to break through it yourself You've got your helmet on, you keep running into the same wall, and you're like, I'm going to make my breakthrough. And it's like you look crazy, and you know you look crazy, but you're like, what do I do? God's like, look, I've got to provide for you. I've got to take care of this. You're single, and you're like, you know, forget it. I'm so tired of waiting for that man, or I'm so tired of waiting for that girl. I'm going to put matters into my own hands. Let me just say, it is much better to be single than to be married to the wrong person. Because you took matters in your own hands. And here you are at the table. How is it for you? Are you really saying, all right, Lord, you know what? You tell me what to do. I just want to do it. Is there not? How about the incense altar? Is there a real honest prayer life? Is it a dialogue? Now, look, at, here's the beautiful thing. If you've ever been around incense, now, most of you, by the way, do you know the average age of a, of a person who goes to church is in their 60s in this country? 
Why do we blow that curve? All right, anyways. Um, but the, the only reason I say this, people in their 60s actually kind of know what it's like to light incense. A lot of it was lit in their younger days. Uh, I'm not that old. Hopefully you know that, right? All right, anyways. But when you light this incense, you're in a tent. Can I remind you? That incense would rise up and it would start to it would hit the ceiling and then it would start to come down. You cannot walk out of that tent not smelling like the incense. And can I just say, you could do it kind of where you're like, like the Lord's like a drive-through, and you're like, ah, hello, I'd like a little bit of forgiveness, and can you bless my day? Oh, we, oh sorry, in, in Jesus' name. Like, that's like the way we pay, right? In Jesus' name, that's like our debit card. Is that really our prayer life? Because there's no incense in that. That's like, dear Santa, scrape out Santa, dear Jesus. That's what we get. But you know, I'm learning lately to start slowing down when I pray. Have you noticed that even when we're together? I just want to hear him. I want to just talk at him. I want the incense to get lit, and I want to be there long enough to come out smelling like it. Have you ever seen anyone who's got a vibrant prayer life? Man, you walk by him, they're like, you smell different. There's just something in your behavior. You know, it's like, even if you know your emotional state gets so radically altered in an honest prayer life, I, you know, I, I woke up this morning, and I don't know if you were ever like this, because you guys are probably perfect, and I'm not, but I woke up this morning kind of just grumpy. And I'll be honest, missing my family for a week has been rough, but this was the roughest for me. And it's because every Sunday morning, I go on a date with my 10-year-old daughter, and they've been gone for the week. So they've left on Monday. And I woke up this morning, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to sit there and giggle with my 10-year-old. It was rough. Now, I, we, we had other people we were able to hang out with, so that was very nice. With all due respect, they know they can't replace my 10-year-old. But I actually, and I apologize, and forgive me if this sounds uncolor, a little too colorful, but I told them, I'm really sorry if I'm like emotionally farting on you today. And just forgive me, but I mean, that, that's what it kind of felt like. I just felt like I was like, yeah, grumpy, you know. And it's like, and I realize that the only, and then the Lord kind of ministered to me about where we were with this. And he's like, you know, remember, your prayer life is how you smell. <laughs> and so, and I realized that emotionally, man, if I'm before the Lord and I'm just quiet before him, and I just needed to get that time where I was like, Lord, I just, I just want to hear you more. I just, I don't want to move until, until, you, want, until you tell me to. What if our prayer lives were like that? Because this is all en route to God glorifying. Could you see what would happen? And then we get to this lampstand. And the lampstand, by the way, can I just remind you, in this tent, which, by the way, would block out all light, it's got four different layers. It's the only light you're going to get in the room. I'm like, am I really looking to the Lord for guidance? Or am I talking to Christian friends, like that's a good substitute? Have you learned yet that even the godliest of people can give you opposite advice? Have you learned that yet? You go, I don't understand. They're hearing from God. I'm like, you, what part did you understand about them being human? Yeah, but they're closer to God. Why? Because they're older? When you could go straight to God? I think God allows advice to be opposite sometimes just so that you could go to the one who won't give you conflicting advice. And you're like, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't hear anything. Marcia, what do I do? Lisa, what do I do? And God's like, well, because God isn't saying anything. Why do you think God isn't saying anything? Maybe when you say, what do I do? Nothing doesn't sound very loud to you. God, do I go left? Do I go right? I didn't give him the option of not going. Did you see that? 
That's like, all right, Lord, do I go out with that person or that person? You just tell me. Hello? Hello? Well, I better list their pros and cons. How about not? But if I'm going to prepare myself, if my house is going to be in order, and this is God's house now, because Corinthians tells us you were bought at a price, this is God's house now? Where's that intimacy factor? Because that intimacy factor will affect my prayer life and will certainly affect the way that I view his provision and affect the way that he guides me. Are you with me on this so far? Okay, so we passed through this little, we've passed through our second barrier now, and now we're outside. And we're outside, there are two main pieces of furniture. There is a laver, and there is an altar of sacrifice. Now, it's interesting because after that, there's another screen. That screen is actually all the way, it's like a big fence so that anybody who isn't part of the people of God can see the celebration happening here and they'd want to come in. Do you get it? Could you imagine if that's what we really looked like when we came out of this building? We look like people celebrating God? We should. Is there anybody on earth that has a right more to celebrate than we do? There are going to be people today cheering for, you know, Manchester or Manchester. And let's face it, some are going to celebrate and some aren't going to celebrate. And and then tomorrow they'll forget all about it maybe. And maybe they'll actually have a hangover from it. You get to celebrate a God who doesn't change, who loves you perfectly. And by the way, you always win. You've won the internal battle. How can we not celebrate every day? But listen, and this is really, really important. If I go to this, this is now my witness to the rest of the world. If this is the witness to the rest of the world now, as they start to look through this film that's just a fence, that's just a thin, basically a thin linen barrier that you should be able to see through, and all of a sudden, do they see both items or do they just see one? On one side, they're going, let me tell you about Jesus. He'll make you nice. That's what we go with. Jesus loves you, which is, which is a nice statement. The problem is most people don't even know what love means anymore. We'd be better off telling them Jesus likes them. But then they follow me on this. It's like, listen, it's not just the altar. It's also the labor, the place where they get cleansed, listen, for service. And what about you? When you think about coming to Christ, did you go, okay, well, now that I'm saved, I'll just hang out at the altar. Or do I go from this to, all right, Lord, cleanse me so I could be used then to affect everybody else. Because if my life is just selfishly, all right, I'm not going to hell. That's good enough for me. Is that all it is? What celebration? There should be great celebration in there, but what happens when all of a sudden God moves you from that to the labor and goes, all right, let's wash now. Let's be clean. And to be clean, by the way, from the rest of the world out there that doesn't bathe is a pretty radical thing. And we go, but I just want to be like them. I mean, they're going to exclude me. You're already excluded by the fence. Hello? But I, don't want, I just want to get tipsy. I don't want to get drunk. Really? Get to the labor. Well, okay, so I'm not going to have sex with everyone. I'm just going to have I'm going to a committed relationship. Really? Is that what the Bible says? Get to the labor. Really? Well, I'm going to be just sort of selfish. Really, get to the labor. And can I just say, according to Scripture, we wash in the water of the Word. Man, if we're not going to get a, grab a hold of God's Word, you're going to make it up as you go along, and all of a sudden there's no fence left. Does that make any sense at all? Am I talking here just to myself? Please hear me. This is what God wants as we start. Look, at this is just the beginning, but this is the place where it starts. 
God, by the time this thing is done, is going to show up and it's going to be like, whoa! And we're all going to be like, I can't even work. This place is so full, all I can do is just sit here and go, whoa. Could you imagine if that was your walk with Christ? It was so overwhelmingly good with him that all you could do is go, wow. Do you realize that's what he intends? But do you see how this starts? It starts with the going, hey, where are we really? Not just, okay, Jesus is just all right with me. Really? He's my homeboy. Is he holy? Is he awesome? Or dare I say awful, because it's not just some awe. He's all full of it. Aw. Is there, am, I, am I really getting all of this right? And then I go from this, okay, now what about my witness? Am I just trying to share with the world? And it's kind of like, hey, you know what? It, it, let's face it. The world out there, whether you know it or not, is drowning. And what we're doing is we're kind of looking. It's like, look, it, I don't want them to really think I'm different, but you're supposed to be the lifeguard. And if you look like them and you're like, well, look, it, I'm not really drowning. I'm just kind of bobbing the water with them so I don't look so different. Do you realize the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make you different from them so that they could see something different and then crave it? More specifically, crave Him. So Moses puts all of this in order. That's the beginning of this. That's how this starts. Now, we move from that because I better move on on this. We're going to finish this in time. He set up the court all around. Second thing, look at verses 9 through 11. This is you shall take the anointing oil, anoint the tabernacle. Now, don't you think that'd be a little weird? You got this tent and you're like, and you're putting oil on it. And you shall hollow it. Funny, that anointing helps set things apart. That's what hollow means. It means it becomes unique now. Set apart. All of the utensils, in other words, everything that you're going to use in there, I want it anointed because it's to be holy. Another word, by the way, for set apart. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and anoint the labor. Remember, those are the two things on the outside. And I think, okay, here's my second thing. My first thing, by the way, I want to make sure that when I really kind of come down to it, that God's house is in order. And the second thing is, in regards to that, by the way, as well, I want to make sure my court is correct, my outside, the way. But look, at is that I have to check in regards to the anointing. Am I really, really seeking God's anointing? Now, scripturally, that's pretty simple. We get to 1 John and he tells us, but the anointing that you've received from him is real and you don't need anyone to teach you. God's speaking of the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. Now, please hear me. The Holy Spirit is not supposed to be licensed for lunacy. He's a person, God, he is. A person with emotions, with a will in his and a specific mission. And scripturally, his mission is to bring you intimate with God. Is that what I'm really looking for? When the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of my life, I am in the arms of Christ where I belong in my mind and in my heart, in my ambitions and my priorities and my dreams and aspirations. But not only that, not only that, but then I get used by him to draw other people closer to Christ. I become an inviter. And the reason why I become an inviter, to be honest, is because things are so awesome and there's room for one more. I'm kind of like that. I warn you, if, you get, if you're hungry, I'm a good guy to call. If I'm ever making food, I can never cook for one. Anyone who knows me, that's just the case. Man, you do well to live in our house, in that sense. Because it'll always be like, mm, planned for three, made for twelve. 
Now, please hear me. The great part about that is, is that, and, and here's the thing, if I really think it's a good thing, I'll tell everyone. I'm like, come on, you need to come and eat with me. If it doesn't, I'll only tell those that I think will be funny if I feed them. But let me ask you, if you're really surrendered to the Holy Spirit, are you really willing to let him let the you that used to be there disappear? Are you still busy chasing after both worlds? I've learned this. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of my heart, it becomes simple. Not complicated. All of a sudden, all those things that seem so complicated because I want to go left and right at the same time, left because I want some things of the world, right because I want the things of the Lord, all of a sudden, left disappears and everything becomes a very simple trip. But man, if I'm still busy trying to, to, to put me first, which I cannot do led by the Holy Spirit. I'll live in fear. I'll live overwhelmed. And I'll never see the glory that God intended. So where are you at with the anointing? Then the third thing, then after that. Verse, now look at it with me. (coughs) Excuse me. Then it says in verse 12, You shall bring Aaron and the sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. Put the holy garments on them. Make sure that they're taken care of. They're properly set up. And I realize the third thing in this, that is, am I set for service? He then says, all right, look, at, I want this thing set up so that when this house is filled with glory, when it is time to, to launch this place, service is going to happen. People are going to be able to be served. Now, I can't get to three before I get to the first two. If I'm not intimate with God, I'll be so busy trying to do it for me, I won't do it for you. But if I really put the Lord first, then I realize I show up to church with an entirely different mindset. It isn't, entertain me, let's make sure that the, you know, the praise or the worship is really great, or let's make sure that the building's right. Or let's, but now it's like, you know what, Lord, I'm coming because I want to be used. I watch this with you guys. And some of you, i got to tell you, it chokes me up to watch how you serve. Without praise, without big attaboys or girls, without big badges. You just do it because you want to. Because the Lord is leading you when you're overflowing and it turns into practical ministry. But can I just say, the greatest ministry in this room will be each other. People will always need to be ministered to on earth. But never forget your brothers and sisters. There are people in this room right now that are really struggling, that are suffering, that are having rough times. They have decisions to make and they're scared about those decisions. They have situations they live in great regret of, even of recent. There are other situations where they're like, they're very excited, but they're very overwhelmed by they don't know what to do. Some people are living right now overwhelmed in fear. And you don't know who that is. And to be honest, I can't know who it is either. It's not my job to know that for every person. If that be the case, wow, how sad would that be? When God's raising up an army so a commander can go out and fight by himself. Beloved, what would happen if we came in here as God would call us to and say, you know what? I want to be set for service. Whatever that is. And please understand, if you think service is, it's got to be a program or a title or a badge, then you're really not being available to the real commander. And that's the Lord. It's not me. I'll seek his face for you. I guarantee you of that. But it's so much more beautiful 
You say, you know what, I've been, I've been going to the Lord and I really believe he's leading me in this direction. Can I? It's amazing. People, you know, they ask us if I have to give them permission. Can I go and mow that person's lawn? Can I go over and pray with that person? Can I go and do... I'm like, why in the world would I have to grant you permission for that? If the Lord is leading you, go for it. So look at my house is in order. My house is in order. I'm concerned and I'm making sure that this is about being anointed. This isn't about me trying to prove anything. This isn't about me doing it in my own strength. And I'm set for service. And then there's only one thing left to do. Listen. Verse 16. Verse 19. Verse 21. Verse 23. Verse 25. Verse 27. Verse 29. Verse 32. All say the same thing. And that is that Moses did something as God told him to, as God commanded him. Did you get that? As the Lord had commanded Moses. Now listen, there's two sides to it. And miss, don't miss either of them. The first is that God gave the commandment what to do, but he also gave the commandment how to do it. Did you get that? Moses could have gone, well, you know what? I kind of really dig that laver thing, because it was kind of made out of girls, like mirrors. And, and have you ever thought about how brilliant God is? <laughs> he sets up this big bowl Excuse me. He sets up this big bowl and he's going to pour water in it and it's going to have spouts so that the priests can wash their hands and feet. But the bottom of that bowl are women's mirrors. So what happens when you have a big brass bowl sitting in the sun with mirrors on the bottom of it? What do you think happens to the water? It gets really, really warm. Now that's a beautiful thing because when they're washing their hands, they're sterilizing things. Now, isn't it interesting God knew how to do that way back then? I mean, we were only learning in the last, to be honest, in the last thousand years that hot water is a really great idea. Not just to soothe aching muscles, but to actually kill things. Washing with warm water is a lot better in some cases than cold. And I love that this is what... Can you imagine you're thinking, well, that's a really cool thing. I want that set up first. But God says, that's not the way it works. This is what we do first. This is how I say it. This is what I want, and this is how I want it. And notice, over and over and over again, God says, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, you would think, wow, isn't that redundant? And isn't that drawing out? But what if it were you? Would it be so redundant now? If every little thing was done, and God gave credit, hey, you did it like I told you. And then he did something else, and hey, you did that like I told you. Wouldn't you love that God recorded everything that you did as he told you? I mean, we read this and we're like, no, 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 no. I got it by now. I got it. I got it. All right, God, I got it. And God's like, no, no, you didn't get it. What I did here was I took notice of everything he did the way I told him to do it. Isn't that beautiful that God likes to write that down? Now, maybe you live in a world where people are always looking to find you doing something wrong. Scripture doesn't show us that kind of God. It says that the Father is looking to find those who would worship him in spirit and truth. Did you get that? God is looking to catch you doing something right. Because to be honest, there's more sport in that than there would be in us doing something wrong. That's a little easier to do. He is looking to say, well done, all right, way to go. That's what he's looking for. And here in this text, he's like, you know what? He set up the ark just like I told him to. Laid the screen like I told him to. Put the furniture right where it belonged. He got his house, my house, in order with him, just like I told him to. And then he got the courtyard correct so that his witness to the rest of the world, so that my witness to the rest of the world would be correct. Attaboy, Moses. 
And then he took his brother and he washed his 83-year-old brother and put clothes on his 83-year-old brother. A little bit awkward for me. Bad boy, though. He did it like I told him to. Anointed him and his sons just like I told him to. Nice job, Moses. So the only thing left after that is that now the temple is, or the tabernacle is up, everything's in its place, and God shows up. And, he, and listen, he shows up in a cloud in such a way that the only thing we can do is go, whoa, nicely done. Look at as we go to prayer, friends. What about you? Do you realize that's what God wants to do in you? Do you realize that you are the temple of the living God and the Spirit of God dwells in you if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? And do you realize what God would really like would be more than just to sort of be a little part-time friend that you visit? Like an internet romance? What he'd really like to be is someone... Could you imagine what would happen if someone saw you and they went, Whoa, the Lord. I don't know, you know, or someone that doesn't know the Lord, they're like, I don't know, it's like spooky or creepy, but cool. Or, you know, they, they, like Santa, he's creepy, but cool. Or I don't know, you know, and, and you, they don't know what category to put that stuff in, right? And they just kind of look and go, wow. I, you know, I, it's, it's a wild thing when you watch people that seem to not really get who God is, but they're like, you know what, I, but this I know, you're like the only Christian I've ever really met. Because if this is what Christianity is, I, I would like that. I'm like, well, it's not about Christianity, it's about Christ. And when he shows up and he takes things over, you actually get to kick back and watch God do such amazing things that we all go, whoa. Can I pray that for you and for me this week? Imagine if you even had one of those experiences this week where just for a moment your house was in order, your courtyard was correct, you were seeking God's Holy Spirit for his will, imagine and you're like all right lord i want to be used and you're like wow one moment like that would be something you'd cling to but could you imagine if that became your life you know i could it's what god intended he intended this tabernacle and that tabernacle and that tabernacle and that tabernacle to be something so overwhelmingly glorified by god with the glory of god People would just go, oh, this is good. And people would be drawn to it. Now, understand, last thing, and we'll pray. That, that pillar, that cloud, will sit from this point on above the tabernacle until it's time to go. And can I just say, the one thing that will be easy to find will always be where he is. Have you thought of that? At night, just look for the fire. That's where you're going to go. In the day, look for the one cloud in the sky and go there. You're always going to be able to find God's house. He's made that clear because he's come to be with us. Oh, let's not rob him of that. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come to your throne of grace. And here we are, Lord. We're in your house. I mean, which, Lord, isn't just some building. Although I'm really thankful that they let us use this building for this time. But you didn't come to dwell within walls of cedar, plaster. To sit within pillars of stone. 
You're so in love with people, you've come to dwell within human houses. And in our houses of humanity, this body that we carry, we confess to you, Lord, we would love your glory for selfish purposes, but we need your presence for much greater and more noble purpose than that. There is a world out there that people say is dark and you've called us to be the light of the world. And I don't want it to be dark anymore. There are people today contemplating throwing themselves in front of trains because they have no hope. And you're our hope. There are people self-medicating today to the point of overdosing and killing themselves because they have no peace and you're our peace. And they're going to run after relationships and sleep with people and get diseases that will ultimately kill them while you're our joy and you're all the love we need. And I pray for every person here, myself included, oh God, please fill this house with your glory. But for that to happen, it needs to be put in order first. I pray, Lord, at the very center, at the core of my being, God, I just seek you right now and I humbly pray, let it be you. Not me. Not the world. Not even things that could be good, just, but wouldn't be good there at the core. I need you to be the very center of my being. Please take your rightful place. And Lord, if I have robbed you, if I've turned prayer into empty words, if I've turned provision as if somehow you're the one who signs the check, but I'm the one who works, if I've, Lord, turned um, just guidance into something where I'm just asking for you to do fine-tuning, but I'm looking at the world's GPS instead. Or worse yet, Lord, when I've told you that I'm going to choose A or B, but you really have only had C in mind, and I won't listen to your options. Forgive me today. And sit in my holy place and my holy of holies right. Lord, as I think of the courtyard, Lord, if, if I have been much more concerned, Lord, with just the fact that I'm forgiven and I've gotten grace and I don't see the necessity of seeing to be cleansed for service. Oh God, have mercy on me and forgive me. Lord, that I would actually have clean hands and a pure heart, only dirtied by touching lives, but a heart that's clean because it's attached to you. And Lord, I do pray for our witness, that we would, and forgive me, Lord, and any of my brothers and sisters for any place where we would try to fit in with a world that's dying, eroding, decaying, and going to hell even as we speak. Lord, we don't want to look like that. But we recognize, Lord, that if our eyes are on you, we'll feel neglect, we'll feel abandoned, we'll feel ostracized. But Lord, that's just not what you want. So please, Lord, please today, 
get our eyes focusing on you where we can walk on the water, stand over the waves, have the storm underneath us, and never be alone. I pray, Lord, that we would not try to do in our own strength what you would do through us. Not just in our intellect and logic, but also, Lord, in our own might and power. Gifts you've given us to do the the job, but Lord, it can't just be done. It needs to be done your way. So Lord, I just pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to do your will, your way through us. And that we would come ready to serve in whatever way that is. To be quick to pray. To be quick to serve. To be quick, Lord, to find whatever the need is you show us. And even if we were saying, I can't do, I, I, I don't have the power to, I don't have the equipment or whatever, Lord, if you show it to us, you have all that we need to do it. But let our hearts be stirrable enough to be so led. And let it just not be about us, but about you. And in that, Lord, whatever you said before us, may it be done as you command, the way you commanded it. So, Lord, get us at your word. Give us a fresh passion and hunger for your word. And in doing so, Lord, cleanse our minds and our hearts, Lord, from the false definitions, from the things we've made up that make you so much less than you are. And, Lord, make us the family, the army that you've intended. And I pray right now in this room, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the one who died for you on the cross and rose again, look, you may not know. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe I did that as a kid or whatever. You know what? Why, be, why not be sure today? I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. If you agree, I simply ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I come to you. I'm a sinner. I'll admit it. I'm not perfect. And you as a righteous judge punish all sin. But you've allowed provision of a perfect individual to take my sin upon them. And then you sent your only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, to die that, that, that punishment for me. Though completely innocent, took my sin upon himself and was tortured to death. But just like your scripture promised, three days later he rose again, showing that the sacrifice was acceptable permanently. So with that, I accept the gift of Jesus, confessing him as my Savior and as my Lord. I surrender to you now. Please forgive me. Make me whole. Adopt me as your own and make me the new creation you intend. So I surrender to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, and if that's your prayer today, I ask you to say, Amen.